Hello everyone and welcome to Impact Wellness. I'm your host, Daria Tietzler. Today's episode is about mental health transformation and what it is really transformation at deeper level. We're also going to discuss embodiment and we're going to talk a little bit about how the body and mind are connected, but why we're still having conversation about the body if we are much more than the body. Salifa Afridi is a clinical psychologist and founder of The Lighthouse Arabia. Amazing, Dr. Salifa. Thank you so much for joining Impact Wellness Podcast. So exciting to have you here. I'm so happy to be with you, Daria. Beautiful. When I saw your posts, uh, right, you really, as I told you before we started our podcast, you're really inspiring. Uh, but what resonates from you is calmness and softness. Um, and I know when I read a little bit about your story that you, uh, your father is a person who really inspired in you so many so much motivation into who you are today, but also your mother, you said later on in life, you have recognized um, that she also had impacted your life. How did you enter into path of psychology, supporting people with mental health? Because from what I'm reading is really your passion and mission. Yes. So, you know, this is, it's a long story and I'm not going to tell you the whole long story. Of course. I'm sure that people will be bored, but I will just say that when I was younger, my mom used to tell me that I should never be a psychologist or psychiatrist um, because my grandfather was a psychiatrist, but he was quite a stoic man and she found me to be way too sensitive. And she was like, you're going to bring people's problems home. Then you're not going to be able to stay married. Like this is just, you're going to be too sensitive. You're going to be crying more than the clients like this is just not going to be good for you so she I remember that conversation with her when I was maybe in my teenage years that just do anything but don't be a psychologist as I got older I went to college and in college I took a psychology course and I didn't like it and so I didn't pursue psychology in my undergrad at in the United States I actually ended up doing cultural anthropology mass communications journalism actually so with cultural anthropology and this journalism type of degree I graduated and I entered into the world of marketing and when I was doing marketing I was actually really well because in marketing you have to understand people you have to know people and one of the reasons I went into cultural anthropology which is the study of cultures is is actually because I really like people and I really like stories and I really like to understand them and I just found um, the psychology course that I took in undergrad to be too pathologizing and I was like that doesn't sound like a story that just sounds like a diagnosis like I'm not interested in that <laughs> so I shifted to um, the world of cultural anthropology and journalism and learning about stories and people when I did my marketing, I remember I was actually quite good at it. And uh, my father is an international business and it does require a certain level of understanding of people and what makes them tick. And, and um, about a year and a half into that, I, um, I just was sitting in my office one day and I thought, 
oh my God, what am I doing? What am I doing? Because I'm going to be selling something to someone uh, that some selling something they don't need for the rest of my life. That is the definition of marketing. How do you sell someone something that they don't need? And I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. So I walked in, in that moment, within minutes after having this kind of revelation, I walked into my boss's office and I said, I am going to be resigning. He was so confused and so was I. I didn't know why I was doing it, but I felt very sort of inspirited in that moment and I just quit. And then decided to move into dentistry. I really like dentists, I like teeth, I like smiles. And so I was like, you know, maybe I'll try that. And I, at that point I was in my early twenties and the idea of wanting to get married and having some control over my schedule was gonna be important to me. So dentistry, my first job ever when I was 12 years old was in a dentist office. And so I was just, you know, sort of answering phones and filing and this type of stuff when I, so I have a history with dentists in that sense. But I took some preliminary courses for dentistry and I was like, uh-uh, I can't do this. There's no way I'm gonna be able to survive the three, four years needed in order to actually, you know, graduate as a dentist and be practicing as a dentist. So. Um, I then went to my older sister and I said, I don't know what to do with my life. And she said, well, what do you like? And I said, well, I know that the times where I have felt most alive was when I was with people, when I was caring about people. I got voted the most caring person in my high school, in my graduating class. Uh, I really love hearing people's stories um, yeah, this is what I like. She said, well, why don't you be a psychologist? Okay. I applied, I got in and that's what I'm doing for the last 16 years. Um, so I guess when I get bored of this or when I no longer feel like this is the thing that interests me, I'll probably quit and go do something else. But for now, this is where I'm at and this is what I love. And not a single day goes by where I feel like I'm doing I don't feel like I'm working. I feel like I'm living out a calling. I'm living out a purpose, which is very different from waking up in the morning and saying, I've got to go to work. It's I've got to get up and go do something with my life is the feeling I have. Of course, I wake up exhausted some days, but <laughs> it never feels like work. It never feels like work. I think um, I it's, it's amazing. And I think <clears throat> partly, and I believe in some energy between people and for some reason um when i saw you i said i must speak to that woman because um there is that passion there is that love there is that care and i also know that you love education <laughs> so i'm partly kind of like um seeing myself in you and i always believe that we need people that inspire us to carry on our message to carry on our purpose because Sometimes it's not easy. Sometimes our message does not get the way we want, how we want, uh, right? How fast we want that is uh, coming. But you've amazing, um, amazing uh, followers on Instagram. Uh, you also owner of um, a co-owner of uh, Lighthouse Arabia. That's that is specializing in mental support. And definitely, I would love that everyone 
in Dubai, but not also there. People can join you um, online, right? And work with you and work with uh, your practice. Yes. Tell me a little bit about more that. Yes. So I'm the founder of the Lighthouse Arabia, um, which started about uh, 10 years ago. It'll be our 10 year anniversary this year. And so we are probably one of the long standing clinics in the UAE. And we are definitely the largest group of psychologists in the region um, under one roof. And so, uh, you know, we, we have the largest number of support groups that are running out of a clinic um, in the region. Um, and that's basically, we, we are very much, um, even though we don't have the title yet, but we're very much like a social enterprise where we have a mission at the center of our business and that business is there to sustain the mission. And how do we make it operational? How do we sustain our mission to have mental health awareness and mental health education accessible to everybody in, in, high quality, um, in a high quality way? And so that everybody that joins the Lighthouse team knows that we have a commitment to our clients, our community, and our colleagues. And that's basically what aligns us. And, um, and that's basically what the Lighthouse Arabia is. We work with everybody across the age range, from very, very young children, all the way across the age range. We're very much deeply sort of um, embedded within the corporate world and the government sector and the schools. Um, and, and that's basically where we've built most of our relationships and where we do most of our work. Beautiful. Um, Salifa, why suddenly, we are talking about mental health because you couldn't see this few years ago and now suddenly we have this explosion that mental health is important is actually part of our wellness part of who we are this mind body spirit have heart connection why is this happening why now well, I think um, not everyone is having that conversation, so I just want to say that. I think in the world of social media, we are having that conversation a little bit more, but I wouldn't say that it's a, a very sort of normal day-to-day -day conversation within governments in the Middle East um, or within the corporate sector in the Middle East. This is not uh, normal just yet. It is very much normal in the world of social media and maybe in the global arena. It's becoming more and more important. I think the United Nations, the World Economic Forum, the World Health Organization have definitely put this in the top three agenda items of things we need to be focusing on. And I know in the UAE, it has also become a top, a top agenda item where we talk about happiness and well-being being an important thing. So let's let, so I just want to say that. So why now? I think it's because with the advent of the phone and the smartphone, which was about 10 years ago, uh, no, now 12 years ago, but with the advent of social media, which was about a decade old, I think this is where a lot of people are coming to a breaking point. Um, it does take about a decade to shift culture, to shift beliefs, to shift the way we organize ourselves. And the way we used to organize ourselves was through different institutions, whether it was a religious institution, a government institution, uh, a school education system, a marriage, 
So these kinds of institutions are no longer having their, they don't have a hold of us anymore. And the institutions online are actually holding a lot of that power, which has left a lot of us sort of destabilized and almost unanchored. We all feel quite um, sort of like we're drifting from one place to the next in the virtual world. And the things that used to anchor us like family and community and marriage and relationships and governments are not holding us as much anymore. And that has created a lot of anxiety in people. And so mental health depression has become the leading cause of disability worldwide in the last three, four years. And it's gonna become more and more an issue. Now, given the pandemic, we have even bigger issue at hand because of the isolation that some people have endured. So a lot of the grief, a lot of the um, the crises, the, a lot of the health issues. So we are really at a boiling point at this at this time in in history, where mental health can no longer be ignored, and mental health is just not something you know very 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 sick people um, yes. are struggling with. There's a difference between mental health and mental illness, and we need to talk about both. Mental illness is very prevalent. One out of four people is struggling with depression or anxiety, and mental health cannot be seen as a separate thing from physical health. We are one system which everything impacts everything else, and we need to start shifting the conversation because it's very, very dated. The conversation. I agree. I agree with you because uh, still, uh, I'm from Poland originally, and still, when you're talking about despite social media expansion, you still when you say um, mental health, go to psychology, go to therapy, for older generation, older people 65, they're not that old, <laughs> right? It's very weird word, it's like kind of woo-woo-wawa thing, like we call it in a, in a natural medicine world, right? Uh, so I completely agree with you. You work, um, and you're defining very clearly your mission and you can uh, say that transformation of someone else's journey from perspective of mental health is your thing. At least when you go in on, uh, on Instagram, you have amazing uh, posts, many views. Uh, how do you define transformation or mental health transformation? So I really struggled with what to put on. Instagram profile because you really got to get it right you know like what is it <laughs> and I purposely Daria did not choose the word healing I didn't choose the word healing because it didn't capture what I think people can do with their pain and with their struggle transformation actually talks about changing the nature of something an alchemist transformed metal into gold right and so i believe that you can take your pain and transform it instead of just healing it you can transform it into wisdom you can mm -hmm. take your suffering and make it meaning you can take your you know struggles and make them resilient so for me transforming is taking something and transform and transmuting it and changing the nature of it into something else this is what I believe. I want, my hope is that with my content and with my 
um, with, the, with the information that I create, that people will be able to see that nothing was done in vain. And, you know, healing is important. Go heal yourself. Great. But what if we took that pain and actually transmuted it into something else? I believe that you cannot heal shame. I've actually really thought about this long and hard. Maybe I'll change my mind two years from now. But as I stand today, I don't believe shame can be healed. I only believe shame can be transformed. Shame can be transmuted. And when you transmute shame and you work through it and you name it and you understand it and that transmutes, it becomes love. And I, I, I have actually felt it that way in my body. I don't feel it healing. Healing, when I see a healing, I see that there's a cut and something heals over and it goes back to somewhat of its natural state. I don't, I don't experience pain, emotional pain in that way. It's always been a transmutation or a transformation of something. I agree yeah. with you. I agree with you. And um, for me, what are you saying? And that type of understanding is uh, empowering. Instead, just heal. And I think that could be part of why so many people made stopping their healing journey because they're not finding deeper meaning and purpose how their story can transform them but also transform others how they can impact other people's uh, life so I'm, I'm, com I'm completely on the same path I always would ask my clients what is going to bring you this, right? And I went through uh, different, uh, different and difficult times. And I say, um, I think healing started when I started to understand that I have to use this, what has been given to me in a pain form to do something more with my life. So I completely, uh, I completely agree with you. Uh, it's flat. Is flat if we just heal, right? Is uh, is important as you said, but but again, I believe different people will find different things for themselves, and it is about awareness on my podcast, so people can pick and choose whatever they want. Yes, I do believe. I do want to be sure and clear that I know that healing has a place in that journey. There are some wounds, like, you know, we've had some wounds that need to be healed. But, and, and for, for, for earlier in my journey, now I'm in my 40s, but earlier in my journey, maybe that is the language that I needed. But now I realize the power of the pain. And I realize that if I take that power and I transmute that power, then I can transform it into something absolutely most, amazing because that power is there i don't have to do anything with it pain is powerful but what if i just change it and change it into love how powerful would that love be so it's it's a little bit of a different frame so i don't want people to be like i don't know what she's talking about and there should be healing heal heal all you want and then understand that maybe later in your journey you will come to a place where you say, what if, what if I change 
What if I transform it instead of heal it? What would happen? What would that look like? So there is a path that might look parallel to healing. That would be the path of transformation. I, um, uh, what you're saying is just uh, reminding me um, a situation from that Wayne Dyer, one of the spiritual teacher, I don't know, you, I'm sure you know him. He was uh, saying uh, also deeply about transformation that it's coming later on in life, right? It's not just coming now, I want to transform. That's why when we have in all this transformations, for example, of the body, we really have to think what we telling to people because we telling them just to change on different level and not everyone is ready for it. But um, what he, uh, what he uh, said, um, was uh, was amazing he was uh, basically very angry on his father uh, and because he did not care about his family he left them and then he was trying to find his uh, grave um, when he said he found it finally he told that he will express his anger on him in order to heal i guess right but when he found he said something amazing happened came only love. I didn't want to be angry anymore on him. He just gone. He was part of my life, but he actually gave me something that I can use it to transform and move uh, forward. And it's exactly what uh, you were saying. That's, that's why, again, finding the right description of what healing, what transformation means to me. I, I think we could talk and talk about transformation uh, itself, but I want to, that you express as little, or explain as little bit more, what do you feel stops people from living the best of their life? As you said, live life on their terms. I mean, we are socialized from a very early age as to what we should be, what we should want, what we should say, how we should dress, what we should wear, what we should look like. I mean, every little thing has been downloaded onto us. And our journey in life is for us to actually individuate and to become an individual with their personal set of values and their personal set of beliefs and their personal agenda to be authentic. And, and that's living life from the inside out. Who am I really? right? I know what everyone thinks I am and I know what I should be, but who am I really? And that's a really difficult, difficult task if you are not connected to your spirit. And most of us are actually quite disconnected to the spirit or we've been taught to dismiss it. And so that, you know, if we let our spirit sort of guide us, that same spirit that told me that I can't work in marketing and I go and, you know, the next minute I'm resigning, that same spirit has been the spirit with me my whole life. And now, only now, am I realizing, oh God, if I had listened earlier, I would never have felt alone. And so getting, getting in connection or getting attuned to or listening to that spirit and having that be your guide, that's what I mean by life on my own terms. I genuinely believe that you know, we are kind and giving and loving and generous and good human beings that care about each other, that have empathy for each other. We have mirror neurons. If you hurt, I hurt. 
I actually feel the pain. If something came and hit you right now, my body would hurt. This is what happens to people, even through the virtual world. And so how do we trust that? Yes. How do we just say, this is, this is who I am and I'm going to trust that. And these are some of the systems that I subscribe to, whether it's a religious system or whether it's a value system, whatever it is that you're doing. I think it's important that if you have a system, okay, be fine with that, but also trust the spirit. This is life on your own terms. This is authentic for me. Um, and, and that's living really from the inside out, attuned to that spirit. And how do you connect to this spirit? Because I think you're raising very important point. We are disconnected from our spirit, or we could call we are disconnected from our inner self, the voices that are not only sabotaging us, but the voices that are good in us, that are trying to guide us into what we're supposed to be. And first, um, we cannot connect with them, with our intuition, with our insights, right? And then secondly, we are disconnected later on from our purpose and our calling as a result of that. So how can we, some tips, tricks, biohacks? <laughs> the way I would, I mean, and I, I have not necessarily read a book on this. I can only tell you my experience. Although the book that came the closest to this was The Soul's Code by James Hillman. Mm -hmm. And in it, he basically says that we are all born with a blueprint. We are born with a blueprint of what we are supposed to be and do in this world. Just like the acorn has the blueprint of the oak tree or the rose, you know, the seeds that plant the rose bush, in the seed is the blueprint for the flower that comes out of it, right? And each one of these flowers look different. So each one has a different blueprint. They're all roses, but they come from a different family. They come from a different way, right? And so we are all born with something encoded in our spirit. And what is that? And how do we connect to that is the purpose of life, really. And way, the way I would do it, and well, let me first tell you what is getting in the way of us connecting to that. And that usually is this thing. That is Netflix, that is television, that is radio, that is people, that is society, it is culture, it is messages that we get, it is, you know, religion, it, it is all of these things that might actually be used as a way to have you change and conform to a certain way. Now, religion done right, I don't think does that. But religion as a way to sort of make you shame you, blame you, I think that's where people play it wrong. So just want to be clear that I'm not anti-religion here. I really am pro-religion uh, if, if it is used in the right way. Now, how can we connect to that? The way to connect would be you've got to quiet in it. If you think about every prophet, if you think about every philosopher, Moses, Jesus, you know, Muhammad, Buddha, anybody, name it, Nietzsche, <laughs> Socrates, Aristotle, name any philosopher or prophet. And they have periods where they go in the mountain, in the desert, in the cave, in the cabin, where they move away from society and quieten themselves. And that is where they hear the voice of God. 
that is where they hear their wisdom. That is where they hear their truth. We don't have that level of quiet anywhere. Even if we go on solo locations or we're sitting in a spa, we have sitting next to us. And we are bombarded with images, with messages, with information that really disconnect us absolutely from the voice that is inside of us. Now, when you said, you know, self-sabotaging or self-limiting voices, that is not the same thing as the guide. So what you are talking about is really living up in our head. And we know the difference between the guide and the critic because the critic talks a lot and it talks really fast and it talks harshly. The limiting beliefs are, I'm not good enough. It's not going to work. I don't know why I'm doing this. I shouldn't do this. Maybe I shouldn't reach out to her. These are the things that are actually going to be, and they talk faster. The inner wisdom, the spirit, as I have now sensed it and heard it, is very quiet. It's very gentle. It actually says, go ahead. I think you should do it. What's the worst that can happen? Try. It speaks in three or four letters, or three or four words, I should say. Yes, no, go ahead, try, do it, risk it, live, love. That's what it says. Stop. That's it. And so we, uh, and I, I believe, for me at least, I hear, I hear it. Sometimes I hear a voice saying, uh, go ahead and do that. You should call this person. I'm like, hmm, where'd that come from? Or it can actually show up as an image. How can we hear or see or feel anything when we are so disconnected to our bodies? Our inner wisdom lives in our body. It doesn't live in our head. Our guide lives in our body. That's why it's called gut instinct. It lives down here. It lives in our heart. It doesn't live in our heads. And the way to get in contact with that is through body work, is through stillness, it's through meditation and quieting that mind, it's through turning off technology for a while and making a ritual of it. And each religion has some of these practices in place. Every religion will have a place where you can connect to your higher power or to your personal higher power. 100% agree with you, uh, Salifa, about quietness and the stillness. It's not easy. It's not easy what you asking people to do neither I, but that is a part of transformation and becoming someone who we actually meant to be. So uh, thank you so much and thank you for keeping patience with me here. <laughs> Daria, I don't see this as a coincidence that you started coughing in that moment. I don't hear, I don't, no, I agree with you. I, even if I said it was coincidence, I agree with you. That wasn't, right? Because I do also uh, believe in connection between chakras and connection of throat and expression of yourself and is a talk from your heart. And... Um, I feel always blessed to speak with people and uh, the throat is telling me you have to continue what you are doing, right? And it's just telling me the truth. Uh, 
in that moment, but it's just, it's, as you said, the body feels what other body feels, even we are connected via internet. That is uh, so amazing. Um, Salifa, you, you mentioned, I will move a little bit, um, you mentioned uh, social media and I really, I ask you this question about imposter syndrome. You also drive from social media, partly because I also feel I sometimes have it, probably lots of times. That's why I don't appear the way I want, right, to manifest my journey, but also, and my mission, but also I know many people who I believe have their mission and they want to speak through and they want to speak out and heart tells them to do this. But this so-called imposter syndrome or whatever we call it is blocking them, right, from moving on. What would be the advice for them? Um, that's a tricky one. I think people who um, have low levels of self-awareness or lower, I could say, they don't know what their gifts are. They don't know what their weaknesses are. They don't know what their shadow is. Maybe they might feel like they are more, they're more likely to feel like an imposter. Now, I also want to say that the lower levels of self-awareness, because I know, if you tell me, you know, Dr. Saleha, you don't know much about Jungian psychology. I might feel bad for a second, but then I'm going to say, no, I actually kind of know a lot. And so, I know who I am. I know that if you told me, well, you don't know a lot about fashion, I'd be like, yeah, I don't. <laughs> I don't know a lot about fashion. And so I know what I know and I know what I don't know. And so it, and I know that there's a lot that I don't know about what I don't know. So there's mm -hmm. a space, the unknown unknown is there, but for the most part, this is a constant journey of self-discovery and self-awareness. That's one part that I'll say. The second part is that this imposter syndrome, I think a lot of people who struggle with perfectionism, mm -hmm. who struggle with beliefs have imposter syndrome as well. And that perfectionism underpinning that is a lot of shame. Mm -hmm. Who am I to be great? I'm just, you know, Daria, I'm just Saleha. Who am I to be someone who can know something? And that is a very massive limiting belief, but also has a lot of shame underneath mm -hmm. that belief. So in that space, you are going to have to recognize where did that shame come from? Who first made you feel that way? When was the last time you felt that way? When was the first time you felt that way? Who were you with when you first felt that way? And usually we'll find that some of these methods that we feel like we are not good enough or we are not enough came from very, very early, pre-verbal, pre-cognitive years, which is, I'm talking under the age of five. And this mm. is where we learn how to be in the world, that I'll never be enough. There will always be someone better than me. There's people who've written books. There's people who know more. There's people who have more followers. Whatever your bar is yes. for success, yes. always going to be some more. And when you constantly are looking at, oh my God, look at all this greatness, I am nothing. That is not a proper evaluation where you say, this is so great. I'm so inspired. And look, this is what I'm capable of. 
which is a very different way of looking at things. So it has a lot of shame underneath those beliefs, I would say, that needs to be worked through. Those uh, those shames, um, I just always would love to refer further into, for example, female clients, right? And weight loss, right? How this shame, which is moving uh, around, how this shame can affect the body and who they are at this present moment? Because I do believe women hold lots of shame and guilt. That's why there is emotional eating and all of those things are a negative connection with food, a relationship with food. How they could help themselves? Well, I mean, we live in a world that is absolutely convinced that we should believe that we are not good enough as we are. All the messages we get is somebody commenting on someone's body, is making us feel like we can improve some part of ourselves. It's anti-aging, it's slimming, it's this one, it's that one. From a very early age, this is what you should look like, this is what you should act like. But the interesting thing about women, which is why 90% of the women, it's, it's a, almost a universal fact that women will have some shame around their body, is because the messages are not just one. The messages are conflicting. Some people say you should be thin like Twiggy. Other people say you should be plump like Monroe. Then you should have dark hair. No, you should have blonde hair. You should have big breasts. You should have small. You should have this one. So the messages are constantly conflicting. So you never feel that you are good enough. You will never feel you are good enough because they will make sure that you don't. So you can buy their products so you can feel insecure, so you can actually go to the plastic surgeon, so you can actually improve the thing you want to, you know, want to sort of appear as. So shame and body image in um, women is absolutely, absolutely linked. I have yet to meet a woman who felt she hadn't struggled with shame and body. I've yet to meet one. Right. Um, how how much do you think is um, coming from actually our mothers? How they would be in the past caring and talking to themselves, and how a daughter or girl would be looking at the mother then to transforming this forward? Because if if that is the problem, this must be transform i wanted to use word heal because i don't believe with you coming that you can hear this because somehow this is so rooted in us as a generation i don't think the mothers only are there to blame our mothers or fathers mm -hmm. i think way bigger this is culture. Mm. this okay. is you know on a cultural level what is beautiful and you know Nigeria is going to be different from what is beautiful in Pakistan, which is beautiful from Ireland, which is beautiful from China. Like each culture presents itself with a set of things that they value and a set of things that they believe to be beautiful. More and more with technology and globalization and sort of one uniform culture, the, the image is starting to look a little bit more consistent where, you know, today it is, you know, uh, a voluptuous woman, but tomorrow the whole world might think that you need to go back to being super, super thin again. So we don't know what's going to happen. 
each culture sets what is beautiful. And so the woman, the mother, obviously can, can help the child feel a lot more secure in mm. her body, have the child feel a lot more acceptance for the body. But we are up against a Goliath here. This is not just the mother-daughter issue. This is, uh, uh, if a mother looks and is proud of the way she looks and it feels good about the way she looks, of course, some of that might through osmosis get to the daughter, but when she goes to school and everybody is talking about weight and they call her fat and they call her, oh, well, you don't have blonde hair or you don't have dark hair or your skin is too dark or your skin is too light, messages are everywhere everywhere so this is a goliath truly that we are all going to have to face at some point in our lives thank you for clarifying this i think uh, very broad and um, lots of wisdom coming here i really appreciate what would what would you be telling to that woman who most of us <laughs> suffer with this shame this shame phenomenon, how, how she has to, you know, she's in her 30s, 40s, even 50s, right? And she still feels, right, this insecurity that's coming on her. Uh, but she, let's say, has this slow transformation that comes in and she wants to push that forward. How she could deal with this? Oh, how she could transform this shame? You know, Daria, um, I find that the biggest form of rebellion that I've ever sort of engaged in, I've been quite a rebellious child, um, is to just accept myself as I am. I feel in a world where everyone has something to say about everything that you are doing, you're never going to be good enough if you listen to them. So in order to, you, you have to rebel and you have to protect yourself. And I find that when I, when I did this work for myself, I was so deeply sad, so, so deeply sad by the fact that everything that we are taught to betray ourselves, we betray ourselves. When I listen to someone say, what is the right weight and my thighs should be like this or my waist should be like that, I have betrayed myself. Mm -hmm. I don't want to betray myself anymore. I don't want to fight. I don't want to argue with people. You can believe whatever size waist is good for you. I don't want to do that to myself anymore. And so the biggest rebellion that I've ever sort of engaged in is to just say, I'm going to accept myself for who I am. I will always strive to be healthy. I will always try to feed my body and nourish my body. I will rest it. I will give it its water. I will give it its movement. This is my body. It's the only one I'm going to get. And I'm not going to let you tell me what is good for it and what is not. And when it, how it should look and what, who are you to decide what I should look like? Who are you to decide that? No, I'm sorry, you don't get to decide that anymore. So it's taking that power back and saying, I will decide and I will accept. And I'm not going to listen to you about this anymore. I will not let you define me. I also think that, you know, one of my favorite quotes is, remember who you are. 
remember who you are. It's from the Lion King. Remember who you are. You are not a body only. You are a body also, but my God, you have a heart. You have talents. You have skills. You have love. You have a calling. You have a purpose. Please, please remember who you are and live from that space rather than should I get, you know, Botox and should I like, okay, like, no, please do not reduce yourself to an object. You are much bigger than that. Much, much bigger than that. Yeah, I, I love what you're saying because um, lots of females in our audience who I believe is going to listen uh, the podcast, but also this um, affects men, also that body and uh, the way they see themselves and what they can do with. But when you're looking from perspective of everything what you said, they generally were not bombarded. You cannot do this. You have to look like that. You have to look like that. That's why they are driving for a higher job position. Even they may have worse prep than exactly the same candidate, but a female. Um, that's why it's so important what you are saying because this uh, I've been in this body work and health and fitness for the last 15-16 years and I also see how this got changed but I'm not sure if what is happening is happening is, is good because there is more obsession about eating, more obsession about being healthy and I started to question if what we're teaching people is right. Because telling someone under eat and exercise more and I'm coming back to that because that's what you see on social media. This is not coming from, uh, from nowhere. That's why all what you're saying is important. Just you are not just your body. You are what is inside you, what you can do with the gifts you have in but many women actually when they come into me with this weight loss they they disconnected they just scale calories and sometimes maybe the clothes size i want to fit in this is the way they measuring themselves um yeah. what is your observation about you know, if we can discuss this few seconds more about what's happening with this body image, the health, the way we see in wellness, the way all of this is kind of coming together right now. How do you, what is your opinion? You know, I, I hear what you're saying. I hear you saying that we're still talking about the body. Now we're talking about body positive and body love and body this and body that, but we're still talking about the body in the end. Why are we still talking about this? Why are we not talking about yes. other things that we're yes. Even if it's body love, it's still the body that we're talking about. So I think, again, putting pressure on people, again, putting pressure on women that maybe I should be eating healthy and maybe I should be eating clean and maybe I should be getting and maybe it's still concerned with something that other than who you truly are. So I get that. I also think that you know, it's about the intention with which you do it. For sure, I know this now. I exercise, right? I exercise three, four, five times a week. But I do it because it makes me feel good. 
I do it because I feel like I'm loving my body at that time. I'm giving it what it needs. It releases endorphins. It makes me feel like I'm good in my body and good in my head. It does all sorts of good things. So I go and I do it because I feel like I'm caring for myself. Another person might be in the treadmill next to me at the gym, but she's doing it to lose weight. She's doing it to fit into a certain set of whatever. Like that, the intention with which you do something is going to determine the energy that is released or the frequency your body is going to operate at. I can be vegan and someone else can be vegan. What is our intention here? I want to be clean of certain energies for a month or a year or whatever people do. I want to only nourish my foods with, you know, I'll only nourish my body with foods that are up to the earth. Okay, intention. What is your intention? And if it's coming from a place of I'm not good enough, then you are still betraying yourself. But if it's coming from I am so good and I want to love myself through this, then you are in a different place. Yes, and I think many, many women are in that place, I'm not good enough. And unfortunately, they connect in their body with I'm not good enough. And um, it's a journey to change this and uh, shift that. Um, I think that's I took from one of your posts. What is a dinner of truth? A dinner of truth is actually where people, um, you invite someone that is close to you. So someone who has a lot of exposure to you, it could be a friend, it could be a sister, a brother, father, mother. Um, usually it's, yeah, people, siblings or friends within your world. It could also be a colleague that's been on the team with you or something. Um, but they have a lot of sort of interface with you. And the dinner of truth is where you ask them to come out to dinner and you say, I want you to tell me something that I can improve about myself or something that annoys you about me. So you literally say, what about me annoys you? Or what about me would you like to see change? And then you listen. You cannot defend yourself. You cannot explain yourself. You cannot justify yourself. You just listen to their feedback. And also know that it is their feedback only. What my brother says about me is going to be very different from what my husband says about me, which is very different from what my colleague says about me. So people have different experiences of you. And what you are gathering is what is, what is this person's experience of me? And then start to see if there's any um, sort of threads that go between all of them. If everyone says, I wish you weren't late, you're always late, then you have a problem with keeping your word. And then there's trust issues that come into play. So you are not trustworthy. You are not reliable. You are not, if everyone is saying that, maybe you need to work on that. So dinner of truth is a way of gaining some awareness about yourself. And that is the journey really, is how do I come across, how am I experienced by others people? I think that uh, came, um, why I picked this, because came, this came from your conversation with your daughter, right? I think the dinner of truth when you were explaining the story. And I am so much about conscious parenting. I've got a two years old daughter. And I think that's why I wanted that all parents pick this information because we are not superior to our children and um, 
many people who work, who I work with, they having children and partly of whatever they are trying to achieve with their health and happiness and wellness, not partly, is a lot linked to the little one. So I always say keep improving yourself. And uh, I think every parent should know about that. What is your intake about conscious parenting? Well, you know, I did my dissertation on, um, I did my dissertation on parenting. And so um, um, for me, it's been a, I would say 17 year journey with a love affair with parenting. I have four children. Um, when I first moved to Dubai, I used to call my lectures that I used to do on parenting, I used to call them conscious parenting talks. And then I changed that into conscious parent talks. So it is not about the parenting, it is actually about the parent. And if yes. the parent is good, then most things actually are good. And I, I, I would say that I have not read a lot more since I realized that I am the biggest source of the development of my children. And I need to know and trust some of my value compass, my gut instinct, my intuition. I need to be anchored in values like honesty, authenticity, and that goes for them too. So if my daughter is authentically believing something, then I need to guide her. I need to coach her, but I need to be able to give her that permission for authenticity. So um, that's my, I mean, I've had a very long journey with parenting and conscious parenting. Um, and, I, and I would hope that my children know that, that I come to them with a level of humility that I don't know what I'm doing in today's world. I'm doing the best I can and I'm letting my values be my compass um, and I am fallible. I will make lots of mistakes and, um, and I will go ask for their forgiveness and, um, and then we'll try to make it right and that's it. So I, 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 like I said, I was a very rebellious child um, and so I think, um, my kids, they, they don't have anything on me on that front. And so, um, I think, I think we're doing okay. Yeah. But yeah, that's the only way to be. That's the only Beautiful. way. Beautiful. I hope maybe I didn't know that you had, um, that huge experience uh, in, um, children and parenting and mostly about parent, as you said, maybe one day we can uh, record some uh, podcast yeah. about that because, um, myself and my husband, we are very much into development of parents rather than children, but for good of children. And as you said, I do believe um, there is not enough awareness. We are still living in this old-fashioned way that parent is always right and kid has to listen. And um, it's a, it's a. I think once I become parent, I started to see more how I can. I change myself and uh, I do believe and that uh, comes from um, one author of uh, Conscious Parenting book. Uh, we, are, we are parenting the ch children or child that is in front of us without comparison to the other one and we just have to adapt. But as we discussed, you have to work on yourself. You cannot yeah. just throw on them because they are observing you. And uh, yes. Uh, yes. 
parenting is an inside job. So you cannot parent, um, you cannot, people who think they're parenting by working on their child, they're probably going about it very differently. It seems counterintuitive to work on the parents, but parenting absolutely is an inside job. Yes, 100%. I hope that all parents hear this and they're going to join a, a Lighthouse Arabia <laughs> for more support with that. Um, one of my last questions is how to find your calm when the storms arrive. This is the same way that you would connect to your spirit. You need to know your anchor point. You need to know where that sits inside of you. Some people say their anchor sits in their heart. For me, the anchor sits in like the third chakra area. Between the second and the third, I feel that is the place where I need to be grounded. You need to practice finding your calm when you are calm. So when the storm hits, you're ready for it. You know, you a sailor has to sail many, many, many times before he goes and gets hit by a storm. You're not just going to get in a sailboat and go driving into the storm first day. So you constantly have to practice meditation. You constantly have to show up for yourself, connect with yourself, connect with yourself, connect with yourself. And then when the storm comes, you'll be ready because you have a neural pathway and a muscle to actually be able to do some of the things you need to do. What most people get wrong is they wait till they're, you know, super anxious or super angry or super stressed. And then they're like, I'm going to meditate. It's like, mm, no, meditation is counterindicated at this point. You've actually got to go like release some of that energy. But if you practice before, if you have a way of life where every single day you meditate, then when the First of all, you will be calm. So the, the storms are not going to be as loud because your amygdala actually shrinks as a way of meditation from meditation. And when the storm really becomes big, you will know how to connect to your spirit very quickly. I think so it's a uh, way of life. I think uh, exactly way of life and do not wait until storm comes because then it's too late. Then you go into food, into alcohol, into cigarettes, into all the other addictions that are calming brain in a that quick way so you're able to uh, to release uh, yourself that's so beautiful um i think there is so many more topics we could uh, touch um that's why i was like a little bit jumping to pick your brain uh Salifa, from different uh, angles uh, guys definitely you have to go to instagram right how can we find you Salifa, and all your wisdom it would be online at Instagram at Dr. Saleha Fridi um, is, my, is my handle, and that's where you can find me. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Um, once the podcast is released, I definitely uh, let you know. Uh, thank you to everyone for listening. Um, Impact Wellness, and this month we discussed uh, mental health. And as Salifa said, meant to be this month right recording next uh, time i'm recording with dr russ uh, who also um, specialized in alzheimer in mental health um, and also in neuroplasticity and stress and how everything uh, impacting our uh, brain um it's just a spirit <laughs> so thank you so much once again for joining impact wellness podcast
Take care.